my husband and I were sitting in the living room and I'm talking and he gets up to go get himself some ice water. Well, the, the kitchen's right there. So I'm just still going and going Well, he starts crushing the ice as I'm talking. Well, for me as a nine, one of the core thought processes is my presence doesn't matter and my voice doesn't matter. So he literally activated my heart. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Cast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're actually going to be talking about a special topic. Yeah. Uh, one of our topical episodes, we're going to be doing marriage. Yes. We got so many um, listeners who were asking about relationships and marriage. And so we wanted to pause and to really dive in as much as we can, as much as it makes sense, um, to dedicate an entire episode to conflict as it relates to marriages. Yeah. Obviously, this is an important one. You know, the Enneagram is all about uh, a relationship with yourself and it's mm-hmm. about your primary relationships in life and obviously like being married like that's pretty primary that's what i've heard yeah <laughs> uh yeah so you're single uh that's that's true yeah uh <laughs> what are you looking forward to in this episode um i am looking forward to one just offering content to our married listeners um that have you know approached us in different ways of asking about you know themselves and as it, as it relates to their spouse but really i'm just curious and excited to hear about um the different ways that people communicate. Yeah. And I think, too, like, obviously, this is primarily going to be geared towards folks that are married. But I think, you know, folks that are not married are really going to benefit, too, because primary relationships are still primary relationships. That's true. So, yeah, if you're listening and you're not married, don't fast forward or don't skip this episode. We really want to encourage you to stay with us because it will be super important. I'm excited to to learn how to to better communicate to my friends and family members. Um, Yeah, so stay with us. It's going to be good for you, too. Well, as much as Sam and I uh, might want to try to talk about this topic on our own, we really feel like we needed to bring in somebody with a little more expertise. And so we are really excited because we are joined today by our guest, Beth McCord. Beth is the founder of YourEnneagramCoach.com. She is the author of the forthcoming book, Becoming Us, which you can actually pre-order on Amazon. And you can also find out more by going to BecomingUs.com. So, Beth, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's great to be here again. Thanks. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Thanks for coming back. Uh, Well, let's start here, Beth. So we're going to talk about marriage today. I'm going to imagine that most folks are listening and they are going, marriage is wonderful, but man, marriage is also really hard. So let's talk a little bit about like, what is the problem that folks run into in marriage as it relates to our conversation today? Yeah. So after being married 24 years <laughs> and anyone that's really been married after longer than a honeymoon, what we realized is we were dancing in, let's say, our dating and our engagement and like, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden you get married and it's like, wait, why are we now stumbling over each other? You know, why are, why are we tripping and falling? It almost feels more like the game Twister than it does like a waltz. Yeah, and right, right. So, <laughs> And so it's kind of like, okay, wait, how do we get back to the dance thing? Well, 
the the dance part before marriage, though it was true, it's not always true because now we've come together in this relationship. And what you find is what happens most often is we're committing a suicide. And a suicide is where we assume we know the other person's thoughts, feelings, intentions, motives, etc., because we think that they are seeing life the way we see it or think about it the way we think about it. And so then we can assign either ill motives or hurtful motives when they weren't really there. They see the world completely different. And that's why the Enneagram is so helpful because once you understand the core motivations of your heart and why you get activated inside, it really helps you to pause and to set up kind of these uh, rumble strips or warning signs in your heart to navigate your heart a little bit better in these conversations so that you're not a suiciding, killing relationship or, or damaging the relationship, but you're asking clarifying questions or giving clarifying statements to have a much richer conversation that is um, edifying and supportive of one another. Yeah, that's so good. I think one of the signs of growing in a marriage is when you get to the place where you realize, wait a second, this other person does not see things the way that I do. And so that also means like they're not even going to interpret this moment the way that I'm interpreting it. And uh, I think a suicide is like a perfect word to describe, you know, what so many of us do, which is that we accidentally we sabotage, you know, the conversation in the relationship right out of the gate because we just assume, you know, oh, they they're mo- we assume their motives. We assume yeah. their interpretation of events. Yeah, I would also think um, maybe I'm assuming of uh, married couples. <laughs> did you see what I, did there? <laughs> right, right. I would also assume that for those that are married, it's it's more than just they don't see the things that I do, but it's like they don't even understand why. I am the way that I am. So I think there's a lot of problems that can kind of come up in marriage. So Beth, can you talk about why the Enneagram is so helpful um, as a tool for married couples? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, as we know, it's a great tool for self-awareness, right? But not only that, it's a great tool for others' awareness. So in a marriage, when you now come together to become one, not only do you need to know your own heart motives. You also need to know your spouses and to lift them up the best that you can. So what I'm always trying to do as an Enneagram coach, whether I'm working with individuals or couples is first and foremost, working with them on their, what their core motivations are, at least how I teach it. Um, So the core motivations, there's four of them that I really focus in on. There's the core fear. So these are the things that as your personality type, like this cannot happen. Then there's the core desire. If I had this thing, man, life would be grand. This would be amazing. The core weakness is also called the passion or the deadly sin. And this is like the thorn in our side, the Achilles heel in our life that keeps popping up. And it reminds us that we have to uh, depend and surrender to Christ for all things. And he is, his grace is sufficient as power is made perfect in us. And then the core longing is the message our heart has always longed to hear And here's the thing that we always are trying to get it from people, careers, um, things. And and the problem is it is not, those things are not made to fully fill us up. Only the spring of living water is able to do that because those things are broken cisterns that don't hold water. So it's like a clay pot that's broken. You can pour into it as much as you want and it's just not going to do it. So what we have to realize is what are these core motivations that are deep inside me that I'm hardwired with and what activates me, whether in a positive way or in a negative way. And then how do, how do those things drive me in my thoughts? thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And that is so important to know about ourselves first and foremost. But then how can we understand our spouse to have more understanding, compassion, empathy, mercy, grace, and hopefully forgiveness? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also allows our spouse just to be another human being like us. Um, yeah. You know, I remember uh, many years ago, my wife and I were having an argument, and in the middle of the argument, I said, "You know, you make a pretty great spouse, but you make an awful savior." And uh, and I think that like that was a moment of realization for both of us that we were putting more, you know, divinity into the other person than what was fair or realistic. Um, Absolutely. I think that, you know, the Enneagram helps us humanize the other person, that they, like us, have their own struggles and their own issues and their own stuff and junk that they're working through that they need Christ to heal them from. Um, Mm -hmm. Beth, can you can you walk us through how each of the types communicate with each other? Because communication is like it's a key issue in marriages. Yeah, absolutely. So when when we're looking at those core motivations, when we're resting or aligned with the gospel truth of who we are in Christ, and we're knowing, believing, and trusting in that, we are going. Our hearts are going to be at rest. It's not going to be as anxious and activated, and so it will. Our heart will overflow into our speech, right? So our communication style, and when we're doing well, we're going to communicate in a very specific way. But when our heart gets misaligned or is veering off course and we're starting to not believe the truth of the gospel and we're trying to get our needs met in our own ways, then our communication style, whether it's verbally or non-verbally, will start to derail as well. So I'll just go over the uh, nine types when we're communicating well and when we're not communicating well. Does that sound good? Yeah, Yeah, that's great. All right. So the type ones, the moral perfectionist, when they're doing well, they're honest, poised, polite, sincere, and they've thought of all the ideas and opinions, and they want to make sure that everything that is good prevails for everyone. But when they're not doing well, they can speak in a more teaching, correcting, uh, judgmental way, and they can become easily irritated, opinionated, and curt in their mannerisms. Now, the type two, when they're doing well, they're going to listen really well to others, be very mindful of others. They're going to ask great questions, have a warm presence and give helpful guidance. They're also going to have deep compassion and be an empathetic listener. But when their hearts have kind of gone off course, what's going to happen in their communication style is they're going to be either passive aggressive or very direct. And they're going to give unsolicited advice. So they're going to kind of insert themselves into people's lives, even when it's not asked for. And that they will think actually that their heart's motive has good intent when others are trying to reflect back that it's not helpful. And they will actually help too much. And when people don't give the response that they're looking for, they can get upset and angry and hurt. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, the three is a successful achiever. When they're doing really well, they're going to be very clear, straightforward, confident, motivating, very efficient in their communication style, uh, focused on solutions and can be very encouraging and team builders. Now, when they're not doing well, they can be very self-promoting and patient with emotional and lengthy conversations. They want to just get to the point and they can be very kind of angry and short with frustration. And they're going to be much harder to divulge um, anything that could expose anything less than superior for them, like anything that shows failure. They're going to not disclose that. The type fours, the romantic individualists, when they're doing well, they are super authentic and deep. They express their emotions beautifully with this inner balance. They are very empathetic, great listeners, especially when people are struggling, whether in grief or sadness or something's going on, they will sit there as long as needed. It's just really an amazing um, quality they have. Now, when they're not doing well, they can become moody, maybe emotionally intense, can be even explosive, or they might even become uh, cold and detached, withdrawn, condescending, and they actually will start to steer the conversations more onto them and the needs that they have. 
Now, the type five, the investigative thinker, when they're doing really well, they are respectful, non-intrusive, can be very curious and observant, and like to engage in stimulating conversations with others. Now, when they're not doing so well, they're going to be overly brief, cold, intellectually arrogant, and they might even withdraw and detach in a very substantial way where there's this real big distance between them and others, and they don't want obligations placed on them. So they'll have a big boundary between them and others. Yeah. Yeah. The type six, the loyal guardian, when they're doing really well, they're super warm, caring, compassionate. They're funny. They've got great sense of humors. They're good listeners and love to engage in two-way conversations. Now, when they're not doing so well, they can be overly reactive, anxious, skeptical, and suspicious. They're going to question others a lot. They're not going to be as trusting of others, and they're going to actually doubt themselves even more. The type seven, the entertaining optimist. Now, when they're doing well, they are fun, lively, lighthearted, upbeat, optimistic, and joyful. And they will take the time to listen to others and have a two-way conversation. Now, when they're not doing as well, they can be hyper, scattered. They kind of keep the attention focused on them, make things really lively and have grand stories so that it takes away from anything painful or um, any difficult conversations. And they want to reframe everything into more of a positive versus having to dive deep into the negative. The type Eight, the protective challenger, when they're doing really well, they're super generous, big hearted, loyal, they're honest, assertive and confident, but they're also very protective and they care deeply for those, especially in their inner circle, but also those that might be at the mercy of injustice. Now, when they're not doing well, that same passion can be turned into anger, maybe being demanding and sensitive, very challenging, and can be almost too assertive and blunt in a way that can be very hurtful to others. And then last but not least, the type nines, the peaceful mediators, when they're doing well, they're kind, they're good listeners, easy to be with, the very receptive, non-judgmental, very open and warm, and they're optimistic and they love to encourage others. Now, when they're not doing well, well, they can meander in their talk style and so they can kind of talk a long time, not really landing the plane. They can be passive aggressive, detached, even stubborn, and they avoid conflict at all costs. Yeah, that is very helpful and very clarifying. Here's here's the thing. As you describe all that, I'm listening and I'm going like, it's so clear all the gifts that each of the types offer to each other, mm-hmm. but it is also so clear <laughs> all of the problems that are right. obvious right in front mm-hmm. of us. Um, because yeah. you take any two people that are flawed and conflicted and you, you know, put them in a room together and something's going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I love the like framing, like when they're doing well and when they're not doing well, because that feels like, oh, I can get back on course. There's not a punitive tone there. It's just like, hey, I'm not doing really well right now. And to be able to recognize that in others and in, to ourselves, I think that's already like a gracious uh, phrasing. And so I'm, I'm excited to get into more of your teaching because I know that it's going to be really helpful and, and a clear way forward for people that may be in conflict Well, uh, so I think that, you know, we listen to all of this. And obviously one of the questions that, you know, someone who's married is asking is like, how do I ask my spouse for what I need and how do we handle conflict whenever it comes up? And I think that's really, really important. um, And I think that that's exactly what we should talk about when we come back from the break. So uh, so stay with us. We'll be back with more from Beth McCord. Okay, so. 
do you think a college degree is worth what it once was? Um, you know, if you had asked me that five years ago, I would have said yes. But all these student loans later, I'm I'm starting to maybe change my tune a little bit. Yeah, I think it's like college degree plus work experience plus who you know. And that's tough, you know, because a lot of people are graduating from college and they still like they don't have that work experience. and They don't have, you know, that professional network that they need to be able to go get that job. Yeah. One of the things that I love about the work that we do here at Love Thy Neighborhood is that we give people that professional network and that work experience that they need. Okay, so check this out. This is Mary Helen Thompson, and she works for Moody Publishers in Chicago, Illinois. Before I did LTN, I didn't have the kind of work experience that would get me a job in my field. And so I did the book editing track with LTN, and I now work for a book publisher. And I'm really grateful for that experience. So if you are like Mary Helen and you're looking at your resume and you're thinking, man, I really need some more work experience and a professional network, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We're going to pair you up with a nonprofit that's going to help you expand your resume. All you have to do is head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply. Hey, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. We have been talking today with Beth McCord about marriage. And so, Beth, let's talk a little bit about conflict in marriage. Not that any of our married couples ever have problems in their marriage. But, um, but yeah, how? what is the problem with how marriages handle conflict? Yeah. So, I mean, there's lots of things that they can do wrong, but conflict is not bad in and of itself. And I'm a nine. So if I can say that (laughs) it's true, (laughs) conflict in and of itself is not wrong or bad. It's just two people seeing the world from different perspectives. It's what we do with the conflict that matters. So for instance, so here's a good story. So my husband and I were sitting in the living room and I'm talking, I'm doing the meandering, right? Like I just said in the last act, I'm a tech yeah, nine, yeah. Uh-huh. not meandering. And he gets up to go get himself some ice water. Well, the, the kitchen's right there. So I'm just still going and going Well, he starts crushing the ice as I'm talking. Well, for me as a nine, one of the core thought processes is my presence doesn't matter. And my voice doesn't matter. So he literally activated my heart. And I felt so hurt and overlooked and activated inside. And I kind of wanted to shut down or just be like, see, I shouldn't talk. So obviously I stopped talking while the ice is crushing, which he has a big Yeti. So it took, takes like forever. <laughs> anyway, so the whole process. So the first thing that happens is I'm hurt, I'm shut down. But then what God has taught us in these 24 years of stumbling over each other is, okay, wait, hold on a second. I have a rumble strip. The rumble strip, when I hit the, the phrase in my heart, I don't matter. My presence doesn't matter. I shouldn't talk. That is like a sign for me to step back and go, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this really true? And even, let's say, even if it was true that my husband was intending for that message to happen, it's not true from the gospel. And so I need to realign my heart with what's true in the gospel, that Christ came for me and literally demonstrated that my presence matters. And when I can align and attune my heart to the gospel message for me and what my type struggles in, then I can move towards my husband. I can transcend the moment and navigate the conversation and the conflict in a different way. So when he finally came to sit down with me, let's say like 30 seconds later, it felt like a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, yeah. I laughed and I said, I got to let you know what just happened. And so I explained the scenario and I said, I was really hurt because I, as a nine, would never do that. Like to me, that is so disrespectful, so harmful. You're pretty much saying that 
you don't care what I have to say. And he just looked at me with big eyes like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That is not at all what I was thinking. I was listening. And he even said what I was saying. So I I knew, okay, yeah, you were listening. But I said, you know, what would be helpful? And so I had to clarify, I, I know that you love me. We've been married 24 years. You're my best friend. But that really hurt me. And so I prefaced with, you know, hey, I know you're on my side, but this is what happened. So clarifying statements. But what I need is for you to understand that when you do anything, when I'm talking, I assume instantly, whether I mean to or my heart's just tripped up, I instantly assume that I don't matter to you. I know now that that's not true, but that's what's going to activate my heart without me even thinking about it. So I said, the next time when you want to go get ice, if you could just say, hey, hold on a second, I want to hear what you have to say. I just need to get some ice water. Is that okay? Of course, I would be like, sure. Like, thank you so much for being mindful of me and thinking of me and wanting to hear what I have to say. So by giving him a heads up of what would be helpful, but also not being like, I can't believe you did that. You're so hurtful. I, you know, and just, or withdrawing and not saying anything, which is what a lot of nines would do. That doesn't help our relationship. But by being a team, like you were saying earlier, Jesse, that my wife or my husband, whoever, you know, is the spouse is not our rescuer, our true rescuer, only God and Christ is. And so when we see each other as side-by-side partners walking through life in a journey, we can say, hey, I need you to support me in this way. Or, hey, can you do this for me? Versus attacking one another, seeing that they must come through for us, which kind of leads into the progression of an idol. Yeah. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that, about the progression of an idol. Yeah, I love this so much. Um, The progression of an aisle is really helpful in marriage, but just any relationship or just life as a whole. We first desire. So there's four uh, steps to this. We desire. Now, that is not bad or wrong. God has given us really great desires in life. And so not all the desires we have are wrong. But what happens is, so I want to know my presence matters and that my voice matters. That's a big thing for a nine. And each of the types have a core longing that we all are looking for other people to say. And when I want my husband to show me in some form or fashion that my presence matters, and he doesn't, then I can move into step two of the progression of an idol, which is I demand, I demand that you show me. And I can do that by withdrawing, or if I was a different type, maybe be conflictual, aggressive. So I start demanding. And then you can get into judging, and then punishing. So those are the four steps, desire, and then moves into demand, moves into judge, and then punish. And once I can realize that I can step back and go, okay, what am I demanding, judging or punishing of my husband that he cannot give me, but I can get from Christ and already have from Christ. And that's a real big, important pivot in our heart. Because Though we think people can do it, they can't. And it frees our spouse to be them, to just be human and to come alongside and support us versus be the all end, you know, um, well, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It sounds like you guys are doing a lot of really good work as it relates to conflict and and conflict resolution. So is there like a practical way that the rest of us can kind of take and say, like, when there is a conflict, like, what do I need to do? Yeah, there's obviously lots of ways we can help with conflict. One thing that we have in our book, Becoming Us, is four steps called pause, pray, ask, and trust. So we want to pause to really capture our heart. Like, what is my heart feeling? What is going on? And am I veering off course, meaning I'm I'm not aligned with the gospel? Or how can I help myself to become aligned with the gospel? Meaning I believe, trust, and know that it is true for my life. But then we want to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to give us patience and wisdom, not only with our spouse, but ourselves as well. We 
so often bring in self-condemnation, fear, and shame, but Christ already took care of that. So asking the Holy Spirit to help get rid of that and to bring in the peace and assurance that we already have in Christ. Then we want to ask clarifying questions and bring in clarifying statements. And then we want to trust in the truth of the gospel, that it is real and step into it by doing the hard things that like for me to do conflict as a nine, it's like, please don't. But I also know in order to have restoration and reconciliation in marriage, I have to step into conflict, but I also need to do it in a way that is edifying and glorifying to God. Yeah. And I think that what's at risk here is this, is if you don't go through a process like this, you know, if you don't pause, what will happen is that you will default to your wounds. You'll default mm-hmm. to living out of, you know, the deep hurt that you have, and then you're going to react out of that. And what this process offers is, you know, okay, wait. Instead of just going into my autopilot default reactive wounded state, I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray. So I'm going to take this to the Lord. I'm going to ask and then I'm going to trust. Like it's just a very, very different posture that's going to lead to a very different resolution rather than either one of us or both of us, you know, just just going into our autopilot mode. And I know one of the things that, you know, a lot of listeners are probably also thinking is they're going, oh, man, I wish that, you know, they would go through my specific marriage scenario, my type and my spouse's type. And we we can't do that. But I do think what we could take just a minute to do is talk just about the different conflict resolution styles. So, so Beth, can you tell us about the three styles and maybe a little bit about how they interact with each other? Yeah. So there are what's called conflict styles and there's different names for these things, the harmonic approaches. It could be uh, the stances, but there are three triads. That means there's three types in each of these three ways of dealing with conflict. There is the reactive, which are the type fours, six and eight. And I'll go into what that means here in a second. There's the positive outlook style, which is the twos, sevens and nines and the competency style, which is the ones, threes and fives. So this is how people actually handle conflict, adversity, and any situation where their needs needs are not being met. Now, the reactive approach, these are people who get reactive and they have more emotional intensity when they're under stress. And what's interesting is they are looking for the other person to be reactive to because they feel like that's more real. Like the person sees this is reality, that this is a big deal when the other person is also reactive. And so they want to discuss, vent, talk through their frustrations and deal with the issues at hand. The positive outlook group, which are the twos, the sevens and the nines, they just want to be optimistic. They want everyone to be fine and happy. They want to avoid problems. They want to redirect or reframe things like, no, it's going to be great. It's positive. And they think by doing this, that they are skirting around the problem or just, they don't like, we don't have to address it. Like, let's just think positive. It will be fine. Everything's great. And then the last group is the competency group. And these three, the ones, the type threes and the fives, they approach problem solving in an objective, unemotional manner. So what you're going to see is them being more uh, detached emotionally, maybe remain cool and objective. And they want to know how to approach it in a very logical manner. They feel like that is much more helpful. So you can kind of imagine. So if you take a reactive type, right, mm-hmm. let's say, and the positive outlook group, for instance, that could even be my husband and I, and they have a conflict. Well, my husband can get more reactive and want to talk and discuss it. Well, his reactiveness 
to me as a nine feels like conflict. And all of a sudden I feel like death is about to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> literally, that's what it feels like. And it's like, I want to avoid it at all costs. So I'll try to probably at first spin it where it's like, no, I think it's going to be fine or it's okay. Or let's think about this in a positive way. And so what you can realize is that with the positive outlook and the reactive group, how do we navigate these situations and conflicts better? So now I can understand, okay, my husband who's a type six wants me to show him that I take issues seriously, but I'm also still a nine. And so I will reframe it or think of it in a positive way, which can be helpful for him too, instead of thinking worst case scenario. So how can we use these styles in a way that is good, but also meet each other halfway? I think that's the big thing. Now, if you have two reactive types, together, you can imagine. I don't have to imagine. I live that. <laughs> that. That is my reality. Yeah. Yes. So you're a four and your wife is a six, right? That's correct. Yeah. And so do you guys, do you feel like you guys are reactive and it feels like, okay, good. They see this is a real situation and we need to deal with it. Yeah. I think, um, let me flip that. I'll give you a different scenario. So one of the things, you know, earlier you were talking about your husband gets up to go get ice and like it activated some of your core wounds. And with my wife, one of the things I realized, you know, so she's a six and one of the struggles of sixes is catastrophic thinking. And so when we're having an argument, if the argument is a sensitive enough topic, you know, her mind might even go to, oh, my gosh, he's going to leave the house and he's not coming back. Now, mm -hmm. there's no reason. There's no reason from my perspective that that's never happened. That's not the way that we argue. But what, what I finally realized was simply saying in a course of our conversation, hey, listen, I'm really angry right now and I'm I'm going to go for a walk, but I will always come back to you and we will always figure this out. By saying that to her, it speaks to her core fear, and then it, it creates a space for us to do both things. We can be upset and angry and have conflict, but there's perimeters to that, and I'm able to still say the relationship is secure even though we're having this conflict. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, struggle for those that are in the competency triad? So the competency group is the ones, the threes, and the fives. And they want to kind of detach their emotions. They feel like those get in the way and they want to just know what is the problem, how can we work it, and how can we get it fixed? And so they're going to approach it in a much more straightforward manner. So the reactive group, that's going to be very frustrating to them because they don't understand why why are you allowing your emotions to lead? Let's just think about this logically. And then with the positive outlook group, they're going to be kind of annoyed with them because why are you so positive? There is something that we need to deal with and let's sit down and talk about it and deal with it. And so they're going to be much more linear in their thinking and process, but it can come across as cold and detached and uh, not warm, but it's not necessarily their intent. Their, their thought process could be, no, I, I see that we can get this resolved quickly. Let's just do it quickly. Like, why not have our relationship restored? Why do we have to get it all worked up or avoid it? So you can see how those dynamics can play in to an effect of the relationship. I think that's really good. Beth, what final word of encouragement would you give to those uh, married couples who might be listening who uh, either have hit a wall in conflict or who are like you that you said, like you're sick of sick of doing this kind of dance, like what hope uh, should they kind of leave with um, as we close out this teaching portion? Yeah. Um, the first and foremost thing is Christ 
literally is our rescuer for not only us personally, but our relationship. He is the one that created not only us individually, but the institution of marriage. And he wants relationships reconciled and restored. I mean, he is the ultimate reconciler, right? He came to reconcile us to God. So if we can always and with any situation, first come back to the truth of the gospel and have our hearts aligned with the gospel, which honestly we can't. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to do that, right? So recognizing our need and that we have to surrender and depend on Him only, He is more than willing to come in and to restore our heart, to reconcile our relationships. But it first starts with us seeing and knowing and believing and trusting the truth of the gospel, which is that we have been forgiven completely, but also been given his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he's not seeing all the the faults and the frailties and the issues. He's seeing Christ in Christ's righteousness as the robe, the, the blood that's over us. And so if we can rest in the assurance of what we already have, it allows us to have this non-anxious presence in ourselves and in our relationships, which allows us to transcend and to move towards one another, not in the hope that they will come through for us, but that Christ already has. And that changes everything. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's good. Well, when we come back, we will be playing Red Flags with Beth McCord. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Cast, we're exploring the topic of marriage. And of course, a big part of many marriages is raising children. But what happens when we raise children that were not biologically ours? Well, to explore this topic more in depth, head over to our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, and specifically check out episode number 15, where the gospel meets foster care. I have like a whole boxed image of how like I wanted it to be. Yeah, put me in a foster home, dummy. James hated me when he first got there. 75% of the people I knew like told me I should give them back. Come on, I want to take you out of the garage. And I'm like, all right, here it comes, right? I'm getting ready. Here comes the fifth, you know? He was screaming, I want to die like my mother. So subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts by searching for Love Thy Neighborhood. Or you can find us on Spotify. Or head over to lovethyneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And right now, Red Flags. Okay, so Red Flags is based off a real game by Jack Dyer. You can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. A word of warning, though, if you play it, you will want to go through and censor some of the cards before you play in mixed company. Consider yourself warned. Uh, Now, there's a little bit of backstory here. So, Beth, in this story, your husband has tragically lost his memory. And uh, the doctors can bring his memory back to him. They uh, They can give him his memory back. But there are side effects. Two of those side effects are good, and Sam and I are about to offer you two different set of options for those side effects. However, before you choose, Sam and I are going to sabotage each other's perks with a problem. So whichever perks you choose will also have a problem that come with them. After we sabotage, you have to choose which of these new benefits and which of these terrible things, these red flags, you're going to have to pick which one you can live with and tolerate. Okay, are you ready, Beth? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, Okay. uh, ladies first. Mm -hmm. 
All right, Beth, uh, great news. Your husband will be fine. He now is an owner of an adorable coffee shop, and he is a perfect communicator. Great. Okay. <laughs> so, Beth... Uh, here are the, here are the perks that uh, are being offered with your uh, your new your newly uh, I don't know what what word I'm looking new for new improved that new improved husband um, he has a robot butler and you will never gain weight while you guys are together sweet love it and now Sam sure he's got a robot butler and you'll never gain weight but he's also now a mer person. So a merman. <laughs> so enjoy life underwater. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. She's offering you that he's a perfect communicator and he owns an adorable coffee shop. But there is a problem. And the problem is that he always dresses like a clown. <laughs> oh gosh. So That's which, creepy. Yeah. But which one's worse? I think I'm going to go with Jesse's. So you can tolerate the mer person. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a mermaid. I, a merman. I know. A merman. I know. I mean, that sounds, that's kind of weird and all, but but more people come up to the surface. Like, yeah. Yeah, things, I mean, yeah. one, I wouldn't ever gain weight, which would be awesome. And then I have a butler to kind of take care of me. Yeah. And I would just have to go visit Jeff often in the merland. Yeah. <laughs> Man, so it sounds like a great vacation and you have a butler who can just take care <laughs> of you. You guys are taking <laughs> Dang, this you is guys actually, are positive outlook so the mer, too. The mer person's I actually a prick think, and not a red flag. I don't think I could live with a clown. Like that yeah, makes me, it's so it reminds me of all like the horror movies, you know, like yeah. I just don't think I could do that. Maybe he'll meet a, a sea witch who will give him his legs back. Okay. okay. Do you have one, Jesse? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll go. Okay. Beth. The scientists are offering these new attributes to your husband. He now cooks all of your favorite foods, and he loves staying in. A nine street. I don't know if, I don't know if that's a, I know, that seriously. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's so much comforting going on. This is a, this is a lot of comfort well, over here. Well, I have a similar yet better version. Uh, this Noon Improved Jeff will always give you the perfect gift, so he will know you, he will hear you, he will be very practical, but but very comforting in his gift giving. And he has all the same favorite foods as you. So grocery shopping just got a lot easier. Restaurants just got a lot easier. Honestly, you're welcome. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, (laughs) ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, he has your same favorite foods, which he doesn't even cook for you. Uh, And yes, he always gives you perfect gifts. But there's a problem. And the problem is that he can only have conversations through puppets. (laughs) <laughs> oh, like Mr. Rogers. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, there's no psychological issues at play there. <laughs> okay, okay. Sure, sure, sure. Jesse has this very cozy indoorsman who can cook food, whatever. He said indoorsman. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of outdoorsman. Um, but he yawns every time you start a sentence. Talk about not feeling heard. That would be terrible. And it's not um, even like a medical thing. It's like It's like him being bored. It's you know? not even a medical thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a medical thing. He's just bored. That would be pretty bad. Okay. Um, I think I would have to go with the with Sam's. Even even though the puppets so, are really weird. Yeah. At least I'm not feeling overlooked, which would activate my heart all the time. See? I knew it. <laughs> Those puppets are paying face. attention to you, Beth. In your face, puppet yes. man. <laughs> exactly. It would be super weird, but hey, I'm feeling heard. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last round? 
Um, now Jeff can get you a table at any five-star restaurant at any time, any place, five stars. And he's literally the kindest person in the world. Oh, that sounds nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's pretty good. I know. Okay. Well, gives great massages and lives on 100 beachfront acres. Man, that's a tough one. Okay. What are the, what are the downfalls here? <laughs> They're sizable. <laughs> So Jesse's person can give you great massages and lives on a hundred front blah, blah, blah of beaches, but they can also unzip their skin and he's actually a lizard person underneath. (laughs) 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 So good luck with whatever that is. (laughs) Uh, Beth, you're going to need your own Enneagram book to make it through that one. Okay. uh, Well, yes, Jeff can get you in, can get you a table at any five-star restaurant Anytime, any place, and he is literally the kindest person in the world. But there's a problem, and the problem is that as long as you're married to him, he's going to store his collection of eyeless dolls in your house. <sighs> okay, so <laughs> I am thinking that I am going to go with Jesse's, where I want to live on the beach and have great massages. Because even though he can unzip and he's a lizard underneath, that doesn't mean he will Especially if we have a good relationship and I ask him not to. But even if he did, I'm still on the beach. Honey, can you not unzip your skin tonight? (laughs) Your lizard (laughs) Really? (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) We'll have to to use our own book and communication and conflict styles to help him to not take the lizard out. Uh, okay i did so my other one that i was debating with was only can make decisions by flipping a coin but as a nine that honestly sounds pretty ideal because i get stuck in indecision so for my spouse to be like i've got the idea and they just like decide all the time i actually thought that wouldn't be a bad (laughs) bad move that works for me yeah so i was like let me not go with that one but apparently i stand corrected because you would rather have a lizard skin man than whatever it is that Jesse tried to sabotage me with. The one that I liked, yeah. uh, one of my options was tells you to calm down after everything you say. And I'm going, there are none. Like, it's, it's probably not like a huge thing. <laughs> no, that actually Honey, is. calm down. Honey, calm down. Okay. No, that makes, I feel like that makes nines feel really bad because like it takes a lot for us to get worked up. So for someone to say, calm down, it's like, see, this is why I never even talk. And we'll <laughs> yes. never talk again. <laughs> yes. So I won. I'm glad that I quit. we could reanimate your husband <laughs> into a future version of his twisted self. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. So this season, we're going to end each episode by asking our guests questions from our listeners. Okay, this one comes from John Mark underscore T. If only one spouse will take the Enneagram test, do I just work the list until I figure out hers? Um, you know, that's a hard one because we really cannot know another person's motives. And I know a lot of people will say like, oh, I totally know what my spouse is. It's obvious. Well, you know what? You'd be kind of surprised. Um, there's so many layers to the Enneagram and there's a lot of lookalikes and you're just seeing the outward manifestation. Um, you really have to know why they do what they do. Now you could ask specific questions like, Hey, I saw that you were really upset about that. Can you tell me why? Now, they may not know the the language of the Enneagram to be able to tell you exactly so that you can pinpoint it, but they might. Um, but I would always say for everyone, everything starts with you. Like 
we can't change our spouse. Even if we know what type they are, we can't change them. That is up to God to do. And so focusing on why you are the way you are and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you can and will dramatically change your relationship because you will be at much more peace and at rest. And then you can pray and ask that the Lord would help them to be more open to finding their main type. Yeah, because then the hope would be, too, that if, if you're if you're doing the work in time, you know, your spouse will notice and there's a possibility that in the future, maybe it'll open up another layer of conversation. Now, you can't depend on that and you can't predict that. But the more that you yourself do your work, that hopefully in time, your spouse will want to come along for the ride. Okay, so Beth, I have a question for you that comes from Gwen Z. Wires. She asks, my husband and I have the same type. How dangerous is this? And the note here is that they're both nines. Yeah, I mean, it really, all 45 combinations have their amazing attributes and superpowers. And all 45 combinations have their Achilles heel or kryptonite. So it's, it's not that which types are together. It's how aligned is your heart with the gospel or basically saying how healthy are you? How much are you trusting and believing your identity in Christ and living that out? And then how much is your heart getting misaligned, meaning you're forgetting, you think you have to do it all in your own strength. God is, yeah, he's around, but I don't know if he's going to really, really help me. That's when any relationship gets dangerous. I don't care what combination it is. Um, But two nines are great. I have actually one of my assistants, um, her and her husband are both nines. I've coached two nines before, and they have a really lovely relationship, but they have to know their pitfalls. Both of them can withdraw. Both of them can be passive and that can be a problem. But guess what? All 45 types have problems and issues. Are we willing to see it, recognize it and own up to it and work on it is the big question for any couple types. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. So Beth, this comes from an anonymous listener and they're talking about how sometimes single people will use the Enneagram in a way that almost like they're trying to sort of custom build an ideal mate. So they're like on the lookout for a specific type with specific, you know, scores or whatever. What do you think about that? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What are your thoughts? Well, if we lived in the garden, I'd say it'd be a great thing, but we don't. So <laughs> it's actually going to be very detrimental because they're all the types are beautiful and reflect God when they're healthy and they're aligned with the gospel, but all the types are the worst when they're unhealthy and totally out of alignment with the gospel and they're living in their own strength. They think they're an orphan. And so if you're basing it on a type, you're missing the beauty of the growth process of the Enneagram. And so what I would recommend is that people not focus so much on what type should my type be with, because you can be with any of the types. It's, are you focusing on your inner work with Christ and your relationship with him and allowing him to direct you towards the person he's called you to? And when he's called you to someone, you're going to know, I mean, you're going to have this feeling of love and commitment and um, wanting to work on yourself and the relationship. And that is what you're wanting to focus more on. On and surrendering yourself to the work of relationship, meaning, you know, God asks us to sacrifice ourselves for one another. Are we in that posture and position? So don't focus on like a type you should look out for. That's not going to be beneficial. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Beth, we have one more question. So this person asks, are boundaries helpful in marriage or would that just be conditional love? Oh, I think boundaries are amazing. Um, you know, for instance, if as a nine, I 
I really struggle going into conflict if my spouse is constantly wanting me, like challenging me and going after it. I need to be able to set up some boundaries and say, hey, I definitely want to meet halfway, but this is wearing on my soul. And here are some better ways for us to handle this. But I definitely want to meet you halfway. I just can't do it to the degree that you're asking that's actually hurting and harming me and our relationship. So I, I definitely think um, boundaries are is good and healthy. It's how do you set them up? How do you communicate them? And how do you support one another? Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And a, an important clarification, I think a lot of times people hear the word boundaries and it feels like a limiting or constricting or a private thing, but but you're getting at the point that boundaries are actually there to establish a sense of self and a sense of, hey, here are my needs, here are my preferences, and here's what I need in order to continue this relationship in the way that we both want it to go. So I think that's a really helpful uh, clarification. Well, Beth, this has been fun. We've really enjoyed having you on today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you to our guest today, Beth McCord. Visit her website, yourenneagramcoach.com. Again, you can pre-order her book, Becoming Us, by either visiting becomingus.com or by going over to amazon.com. You can also take a variety of online Enneagram courses as well as private workshops by visiting yourenneagramcoach.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. While you're here, you'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.